Hiya, sports movie salivators, and thank you kindly for hearing us blather about motion pictures with athletics in them. This is the 22nd episode of Scoring at the Movies, and once again, we will be spoiling every millimeter of this flick. We're not metric. Wait, we are metric. That's the one that's metric, yeah. Yeah, we're metric. We're Canadian. I'm the guy who's not too good for his home, Ryan Ellis, and here's the guy who's well aware the price is wrong, bitch, Chris Gregorio. I'm well aware that the price is wrong. It often is. One thing I wanted to mention before we got started today, because it's a topic I don't think we've really touched on enough in the course of this podcast, is just how much pressure can be involved with recording podcasts. I think we found a way to rise above that pressure, to harness the good energy and block the bad, how it's all a flow, it's all circular. Circular, Ryan, like a carousel. You pay the money, you get on the horse, you go up, down, around. He's doing this again. Like a circle, Ryan, you're feeling the flow. Feeling the music? I think we do a good job of that, Ryan. All right, all good things, Ryan. Let's record. <laughs> Sometimes he confuses even me, let alone anybody listening right now. Really? Nothing? Was that in the movie? That's Kevin Nealon's big shtick in the movie, Ryan. Oh, I remember when he was on screen, I was taking a note about something and wasn't paying much attention to it. <laughs> well, that explains the completely blank stare you gave me mm. through that, the entirety of that confusing monologue. Well, I see the word flow on your beer, so that's what I thought you were leading to was a flow. What are you drinking, anyway? Let's explain that part right now. Yeah, you see, it's all connected. It's all a circle. At see, all I thought he was leading to this. This is what I was waiting for. Well, I was leading to that. Yeah, it's the old ebb and flow... Ebb, uh, best word I couldn't read. Yeah. Okay. Ebb and flow, feeling the flow, Ryan. A mm. nice, light, easy drinking beer. So let's, let's crack that bad boy open. I have the lightest thing you can imagine. The old H2O from the Brita. Well, we are recording a little bit earlier than we typically yeah. do, so maybe the day drinking is not my best choice ever. But I considered it, but it's a Saturday. I'll probably have way too much later on, so I'll have the water for now. <laughs> Pre-drink hydrating. That's good. Okay, Smart. this week's film is Happy Gilmore. And it was released by Universal on February 16th, 1996. It wasn't a failure because they didn't shell out that much money to make it. But, by Sandler's standards, it wasn't very big. He's made giant blockbusters. I think we know that. This guy was money for so long. Until, more recently, where finally I think his shtick is up. For well, even maybe his most loyal fans. Because, well, we don't know how Netflix movies do. They don't release data. But his theatrical movies before that were not doing the same as... Around this time when he started making Blockbuster after a Blockbuster that didn't cost shit to make either. So yeah. this guy was as bankable as anybody around this time. This movie wasn't so huge. The rest that followed it for a long time were. You said his more recent stuff, but I think you could probably go back to, what, maybe 2001 is when Sandler might have really hit a wall. Well, let's look at his resume. I don't think it's quite that soon. I think we're talking about maybe the late 2000s when he started making movies that weren't so popular. Because his fans were so loyal to him forever. Not counting the more recent Hotel Transylvania movies. Those ones have always been money. Chuck and Larry did pretty well, as I remember. Click did fine. The Longest Yard we talked about. The remake did okay. 51st Dates. So, yeah, even at that Spanglish. point. All right, maybe mid-aughts. But it's been a good 12, 13, 14 years, I think, at this point, that he's been on a not-so-great run. The Grown Ups movies did okay, too, though. Yeah, financially they might have. But they're still the kinds of movies that I don't think many... 
grown-ups actually want to see. I That's think. never been the point with him, though. One of the things about this movie I like, and seeing it again, I'm glad to remember this, that he doesn't have one of those stupid voices. He's not mentally retarded. I'll use that word still. I don't care if that's politically incorrect. Because his characters in so many movies are mentally retarded so often. Like, at least that's the way he plays them. Not the, in this one, at least. Billy Madison, The Water Boy. Two movies that I actually Little en- enjoyed. I uh, hated Little Nicky. Little Nicky was an awful movie. All of those characters. He does a few silly voices, gently caressing the... Uh, I can the live with voices. It's more when he does have voice the whole movie. Oh, I see. When that's the character, full stop. Hmm. It's not the character. I enjoyed I The Water okay, Boy. Yeah. I'll give that one credit. But generally, I find that annoying. But his fan base obviously loved it. Yeah, I think he does play this one a little bit straighter than a lot of his hardcore comedy characters anyway, mm. but I really loved this movie. Love I, is strong, but I liked it. Well, I loved it when it came out. As a 15-year-old kid, when it came out, mm. I loved it, and I still have a lot of affection for it now, even watching it for this. Thank you, Netflix. Thank you, Netflix. And he plays it pretty straight, but he might be my third or fourth or fifth favorite character in the movie and there's some smaller characters like Carl Weathers that I actually oh, yeah. enjoy a lot more than his character, but I still like the movie as a whole. Well, playing off this theme of what he's played in so many movies over and over again, the same kind of character. I'm not saying he's playing the same. He's not John Wayne doing John Wayne, but he's Adam Sandler doing Adam Sandler mostly. <laughs> if but, I could do a John Wayne voice right now, giving a Happy Gilmore, Price is Wrong, bitch line, I would, but I don't have it in me. The right. Price is Wrong, bitch. That's okay. My, John Wayne's not my best impression. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah more along the lines of just like a very lackadaisical Adam Sandler, but I see what you're going for there. I waited too long to do this last time, so I'll do the nutshell right now. While we're on this theme of him playing the same kind of character over and over again, the nutshell for Happy Gilmore, Adam Sandler plays a violent sociopath who gets the girl and humiliates his enemy. That's what he does over and over. And most of the movies he did around this time, the woman character's name was V. In this case, it's Virginia Vennett. I think also is often Vivi, so I can't remember the character's names, but Vivian Vanderbeek or something like that. There's so many characters in this movie that if you asked me what their name was, I could not tell you. Well, this is one of the benefits of us now having two monitors here in our recording room. One of them has the IMDb profile of this movie up, and we can see a lot of the character names right in front of us. And Julie Bowen does play Virginia Vennett. How many movies can you think of Aside from character pieces that just focus on one or two characters for the entirety of the movie, this is something where you're moving about, you're in crowds, you encounter a lot of characters. But aside from Happy Gilmore, Shooter, McGavin, Chubbs, the Mm -hmm. Carl Weathers character, and I guess Grandma, I don't know if I could name another character in the movie if you asked me to. They didn't really say their names. They said Virginia's name a few times, I guess. They might have done, but it's the kind of movie where I just glossed over all of the fine details, apparently. There are a ton of people in this movie that you now know, you maybe didn't at the time, and a lot of Adam Sandler's buddies from SNL. Robert Smigel is the IRS agent. Richard Keel, not a Sandler buddy, actually, getting off that theme a little bit, but Richard Keel from the original Longest Yard is in this yep. as his former boss and then his supporter, yep. Mr. Larson. Jaws. Right. Jaws in the Bond movies. Joe Flaherty, again, not a Sandler guy, but from... Second City? Second City is the jeering fan. The Jackass. Jackass guy. But then back to the SNL guys. Kevin Nealon is in this. And why can't I think of the other people? I guess Alan Covert is a Sandler friend. The yeah. co-writer Tim Hurley and Alan Covert. You look on their resumes, almost everything they've ever done involves Adam Sandler. Which is cool that Sandler's so loyal to his friends. You always hear good stories about him being a really good guy. The Keanu Reeves kind of thing. Like him or not as an actor, apparently they're both great dudes. Reeves and Sandler. But Sandler does work with people who maybe aren't up to... Even his level, whatever his level may be, because so many of his movies have been mediocre, not well-written, and not well-directed. Dennis Duggan, who directed this movie, directed a ton, mostly, in fact, in his resume, shitty Sandler comedies. I think you said it right when you said, whatever his level might be, it's so variable. 
I've hated so many of his movies, but I can't hate him. And just because I knew we were going to do this today, I thought, you know what? Late last night, Bev had gone to bed. I want to see some quick comedy. Punch Trunk Love. I've always loved him in that movie, and I knew I would again. And seeing it this time, I see so many depths in him. He has got potential. Funny People as well, the yeah. Judd Apatow film. He's got potential to be a great actor. Even the Meyerowitz stories, which is on Netflix. I saw that a few months ago. He can be terrific, but then he does go to the lowest common denominator so often, including working with Netflix on things like The Ridiculous Six. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is him working so much. Right? Well, maybe because he'll do things like Just Go With It, where he goes to Hawaii, or the Grown Ups movies, where he works with his friends and they're basically on vacation, just fucking around making a movie. Yeah, but you're kind <laughs> you're of... not working that hard. No, but you crank out some really mediocre or shitty movies just for the sake of... I guess working and working in great circumstances from the sounds of it, but maybe a little bit more of a selective approach might have meant that over the course of his career, at least at this point, the consistency might have been better. Billy Madison was a big movie for people. It was the year before this. That was his first starring role. He'd yeah. been in a few things in smaller roles, but from that movie on, he's the headliner in almost everything he ever does, including yeah. when he worked with Nicholson in Anger Management. He was the top star, and he should be. The movie's about him, but Jack Nicholson wasn't even the leading player in his own movie. I don't know if it was a good movie, a great movie, but I enjoyed even Anger Management. Sandler's fine in that. Nicholson's the one who's way over the top and kind of annoying for Jack Nicholson. <laughs> he kind of he's supposed to be. That's the character's arc, especially you find that at the end. It's a twist, but... I actually dislike Nicholson in that compared to Sandler. You mentioned the variability of Adam Sandler and what he's done. There's another guy in this movie, I think uncredited even, Ben Stiller. Yes. As Hal. There's a guy whose name I do know only because it's on his mm -hmm. name tag. Mm -hmm. His career arc kind of reminds me a lot of Adam Sandler's in that he's put out a lot of movies that I still think are just a lot of fun to watch and very funny, even if they're stupid and a little bit brainless. You know, Dodgeball being one of them, which we've talked about in the past in this. Mm hmm even things like Bloody Zoolander, the first one, mind you. For all its faults, I still giggle when I watch that. But he's put out a lot of shit, too, over the course of his career. True. He's another guy that pops up continually, working with a lot of the same crew, a lot of, no doubt, his friends. Comedy is also hard. I think that's one thing we can truly agree on, is that maybe harder than a lot of other mediums when it comes to film is to put out consistently good quality It probably quality. is the hardest thing to do. Yeah. You know one thing that maybe happens on these sets when he's working with all of his buddies, including people that co-wrote with him and his directors tend to be his friends, everyone's probably laughing on set at what's happening and they all think it's great and they get in the edit suite and they laugh all over again and yeah. they don't realize that it isn't that funny. Then again, I'm saying this, a lot of his fans disagree. They thought all these big hits were funny, but I think that may be part of the problem is the ones that didn't work. Maybe Jack and Jill on set was hilarious to Sandler and his friends who were working with him on that one. You're hanging out with a group of buddies, you just start riffing off each other and you're cracking each other up, and maybe it's too much navel-gazing or it's too much internal gags that you all just enjoy because it's you and not because the actual material's good. As far as the Rotten Tomatoes numbers for Happy Gilmore, 61% of critics, which is just barely a passing grade, but that is a fresh tomato, and 85% of audiences, so the audiences loved it, the critics barely did. And it was 37th at the 1996 U.S. box office, making about $38 million, which is about $80 million adjusted for inflation. But you look at his adjusted for inflation list, and so many of his films top way past $100 million. The studios love working with somebody who's going to make a successful film and not cost Star Wars-level budgets. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been great if Lucasfilm produced this movie? Incredibly shiny. I think we need Jar Jar in there. <laughs> He's the key to the whole thing. Let's replace Otto with Jar Jar. Misa need the driver kind of thing, and... I'll cringe a little bit more. You said five characters you like better than Happy Gilmore in this, and I'm yes. sure you're not saying you don't like Happy Gilmore, but you like them even more. So Chubbs is one. That's a good call. We see the beginnings of Carl Weathers' comedy chops that we would definitely see in Arrested Development a few years after this movie. <laughs> yeah. You get a potato in there. You get a big bone, a potato, and some broth. You got yourself a stew. 
<laughs> that clip is on YouTube. I actually looked for that. It's a fantastic scene. He was always funny on that show. But who do you all? Well, I guess Christopher McDonald or Shooter McGavin. Who else do you like in yeah, this movie so much? I think much? Shooter McGavin got, grandma. got atop the list. I enjoy Grandma. Her, oh dear, kind of moment. She's not as out of it as I thought she was going to be. Not having seen this movie in a long time, I thought it was going to be that whole completely oblivious Grandma. But she's not. Her brain is still normal enough. Frances Bay plays her. She's the old bag in yeah, Seinfeld. The marble rye. <laughs> Give me an old, old bag. I even like Stiller in this. He's only in a okay. few scenes, but yep. his delivery is, yeah, I'll get you a warm glass of, shut the hell up. <laughs> oh, elder abuse is hilarious, Ryan. A deeper issue there where older people are treated badly at a nursing home. Which we know is true sometimes. It's the kind of thing that 37-year-old Chris realizes I shouldn't laugh at because it's 2019 and hopefully we know better, but I can't help it. The scenes are short enough and done well enough and thankfully not explicit enough in their abuse. The sweatshop aspect of quilting for hours on yeah, end. When they're tired. Oh, my fingers hurt. Oh, you got yard duty, but you don't see him whipping the elderly or anything. Yeah. So maybe in its discretion about how it depicts it, it saves that joke for me. It's a little bit cleansed of any violence or repercussions, because that's the other thing. If towards the end of the movie we saw a grandma pop up and she looked beaten and haggard and broken... That would ruin the joke for me, but the fact that she pops up at the end of the movie and she's, for all intents and purposes, fine, even though there's intervening scenes where you can see her looking a little distraught and like, I want out of here. She's not worse for wear at the end, yeah. so I can take the intervening jokes, even if they're not in the best of taste in 2019. She gets her house back, so she's a happy lady. Yeah, so all... Although she's not dwelling on the house the way that he is. Happy's way more interested in keeping that house for her than she is in keeping it. I thought for sure, at the end of it all, when she says to him, don't worry about it, it's just a house, it doesn't matter... Because he has been harping on the whole movie that his grandpa built it with his own bare hands in 1916 or whatever the hell it was. I thought one of the big reveals would be that, oh, no, no, he didn't build anything. This was like a kit house that the builder put up in two days in the 50s or the 60s or something. And then that's why it doesn't really matter. Don't worry about it. And that reveal never came. Mm -hmm. Something I thought had. It was like my memory playing tricks on me. Could have been a good gag, too, if they had done that. Or the house just collapses in on itself on Shooter after he pays 370000 for it or whatever he did. At or the, the very last gag of the whole movie, because it ends on a non-joke. I guess looking at Chubbs and the alligator in heaven together. Chubbs, the alligator, and wasn't it Lincoln or something that they're okay, hanging right, out yeah. with in heaven? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good payoff, I guess, for Chubbs. His death is pretty tragic, though, because he's scared by the head of the alligator that's a present for him. Happy's trying to do a nice thing, and he dies in a horrible way, but at least you get the payoff that he's happy in heaven. I like that whole Carl Weathers callback. I also enjoyed the fact that they made no effort to hide the disparate lengths of his arms. One of the worst fake hands in history, and that's the gag. Yeah, his right arm is a good 10 inches longer than his <laughs> left arm because of the fake hand. But the fact that he gets his hand lost is kind of like his character in Predator getting his arm blown off by the Predator. Right. You asked me for a list of characters, and there's one more I didn't mention, and that's Bob Barker. Of course. Steals the movie, probably. Steals the movie. And the fact that he, A, agreed to do this, and B, pulls it off so damn well. And I don't know if he was an actor before he became this a This is the only movie he ever made. He pulls off the delivery up to and including the lines in the actual fight, but even up to that point, I believe him as Bob Barker mm -hmm. in that scenario. He's a golf guy. Maybe that helps. I think he actually loved playing the sport, so he was in his element. But he wasn't an actor, like I say, so... Yeah, it's almost surprising he could be as good as this. We've seen other people who aren't actors, but are celebrities in one way or another, who aren't very good when they're actually given lines to say. But he is. Right down to, this guy sucks, and then yeah, exactly. and the fight. <laughs> it's clear that he's a stunt double a few different times. It's not even remotely close to being convincing that he's doing some of the tumbling. 
But I was reading that he was trained by Chuck Norris, so he was capable of throwing punches and capable of looking at some of the shots, at least, like he's actually fighting Sandler, yeah. and I think he is. A lot of it, no, he's not. Probably more than he would ever say. I did my own stunts. No, you didn't. Tumbling down the grass, you didn't do it. Even some of the hits, he didn't do. But a lot of them, he did. And for somebody who was already getting up there in age... He was in his 70s at this was point. Was he? Okay. Yeah. Apparently, a lot of people went to Price is Right. A lot of young people did after watching this movie because they didn't really watch the show. I think it's a daytime show. Of course, you're in school. But they were drawn into watching it, I don't know, maybe recording it or something, or watching it more when they're home on sick days because of Bob Barker being great in a movie they loved. Good on him for having the self-confidence to play against type because his whole career on Price is Right is playing the nice guy, the Mm -hmm. good guy, right? He does that to a degree in this movie, but then turns the knob and beats the ever-loving snot out of Adam Sandler, which is totally contrary to every perception you would ever have of Bob Barker up until his appearance in this movie. Talk to Barker's beauties, especially Diane, who was my favorite when I was a kid and I watched that show. I'm impressed you know the name of a Barker's beauty. Oh, because she was my favorite by a mile. (laughs) They had a relationship, and I don't think he did anything that was... Well, you know what? If it was something that happened now, if it was outed now, he'd be in real serious trouble from what I remember. I don't remember all the details, but it was a relationship that I don't think she wanted i don't think he raped her or anything like that or even paid for it but it's more a matter of you're my employee and i want to fuck you so let's fuck so he was playing more into type than you think i guess if all that's to be believed of being an aggressive guy although it's not his fault that he's mad he won the tournament the year before with was it fred couples or some some famous golfer no no nick faldo sorry that's it and now he's in last place because happy's sucking (laughs) of course we we haven't talked about happy as a golfer so that's the gag he's this incredible driver he hits the ball further than john daly or even tiger woods in his prime which is unrealistic, but it's fun. The fact he hits yeah. the ball so straight and so far when he's never golfed before is illogical. But again, that's the gag. Apparently, Sandler's not good at hockey or golf. The beginning of the film is more of a hockey film. It's almost like the beginning of Goon. He wants to be a Goon. Yeah. He tries out for a hockey team and doesn't make it. Joe Sackick, or as Bob Cole would say, Joe Sackick, is in that scene. I'd read that before I started watching the movie. And then when it was playing out, I forgot to look for him, so I Googled it later on. And if you look for a still frame, he's one of the guys that's standing with the coach when everyone's picked except for a Happy and a few other people. Joe Sack. I don't think he has any lines. He's just one of the people that's there. Wow, I'm surprised I didn't recognize him in that. Yeah, it's a great opening. And I love that the repeated gag throughout the movie is, like, I got a little bit tired of I'm not a golfer, I'm a hockey player. Yeah. But I did enjoy the repeated, you know, I have a record. I tried to take my skate off and stab somebody with it. Nobody else has ever done that. The pride he takes in that. The whole wearing the sweatpants and hockey jersey through the... the probably Sandler's clothes. Probably <laughs> Sandler's clothes. But I wondered what the hell he was doing because they're playing in Georgia and down in the southern U.S. through the summer and you're mm. wearing a hockey jersey and sweatpants. Dude, you've got to be sweating your literal balls off at mm. that point. I'm talking about his lack of respect for the sport. I find that a little frustrating too because he keeps on saying he's not a golfer for the longest time until the end he finally accepts that he is a golfer and I guess that's what his career is going to be from this point on. He talks about hockey, but he's never going to go into it. He must realize, well, I guess he's not realistic that he's never going to be a hockey player and make it with some even semi-pro team, let alone an NHL team. How old was his character in this movie, do you think? 30-ish. I think he was 30-ish when he made Billy Madison, so it's probably true to his real-life age, give or take. Okay, that makes sense, because he's been trying out for the local lower-tier pro team or semi-pro team mm-hmm. for, what did they say in the movie, like 10 years or something? Something like that. Years. And obsessing about Terry O'Reilly, who was a big goon for the Bruins in the 70s. I guess he's from that area, the Massachusetts or even just Boston area. Doesn't no, you, sound like a Boston guy. But you see a lot of Boston swag throughout the course of this mm-hmm. movie. A lot of Bruins hats and jerseys mm-hmm. broken out. I was a little upset that in the scene of his apartment, there's no Maple Leafs materiel anywhere did you notice that there's even fucking hartford whalers stuff all over the place but there's no maple leafs maybe because they'd be a rival of the bruins from the original six days 
I guess, but man, it really got my goat. It'd be worse if there was stuff from the Canadians, though, because they're definitely more of a rival in the history of the NHL than the Leafs are with the Bruins. I think there was a Canadians oh. pennant Then on you're the right wall. to be upset. We've talked a few times on other podcasts about what other countries call movies, because a lot of times they're not going to call them what they're... I think The Matrix, for example, which Bev and I just recently did, would be called The Matrix in Japan or China or something. But the name for this movie in Japan was Pro Golfer Gil. What? I guess they forgot the more. <laughs> <laughs> Pro Golfer Gil? Yep. So they must have been very confused when throughout the movie he kept saying, I'm not a golfer, but that's the title. I don't understand. <laughs> Refund. Just call it Gil. Just Gil, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing that ties back to our last movie, Field of Dreams, is the way it starts, because you have an opening narration where he says, My name is Happy Gilmore, and Field of Dreams' first line is, My father's name was Ray Kinsella. They don't have any other thing in common, except for that. <laughs> Actually, no, that they do have in common indirectly is that this same year, Kevin Costner did a golf movie also, which we already covered long ago. It was one of our first ever movies you and I covered, Tin Cup, which was a comedy as well, but took the sport way more seriously and had a lot more of it. There's plenty of golf in this, but there's even more in Tin Cup. The other thing that's comparable about it, I guess, or opposite, is that Happy has no respect for the sport for the longest time and plays it stupidly, but succeeds anyway. Whereas Roy McAvoy is zen about golf, loves it, knows everything about it, and is great at it as well. So I'm tying them all together in this clunky way. You could also make the argument that both Costner in Field of Dreams and Sandler and Happy Gilmore both have like a mentor figure, an African-American mentor, Yoda-esque figure. Stars from the 70s. Whether it's from Rocky and James Earl Jones from a lot of things, but obviously Star Wars especially. There you go. There's another very strained parallel between the two movies, I guess. You mentioned that there was a lot of golf in this movie, and there is. And a lot more than I remember there being. And I don't know how I felt about it from a golf pedant perspective. Yeah, because this is one of the sports you were good at. You thought about being a professional golfer. You know as much about this sport as any, I guess, right? Yeah, I kind of wish that they had ended the movie a little bit differently than they had. The gag of Play It Where It Lies off of Mr. Larson, Larson. yeah, yeah, Yeah. the Jaws character's foot. I enjoyed that just based on, of course, his sheer size. He was threatening Shooter Mm. earlier in the movie, and he suddenly becomes Happy Gilmore's biggest fan after Happy shot him in the head with a nail gun. He became his biggest fan so early in the movie, at a point where Happy had done nothing except everyone's talking about the 450-yard hole-in-one, and he'd finished like last place while being in the money in a tournament. But all of a sudden, this guy with a nail embedded in his head is his biggest fan. He should be the jackass guy rather than Joe Flaherty, I guess. Actually, that would have been kind of funny. Joe Flaherty's better cast to have more dialogue, but Richard Keel would have made more sense I don't to know be mad Ri- at him. Yeah, I don't know if Richard Keel would have been able to effectively deliver the jackass. It would have come out much more jackass kind of Would Richard Keel also want to go to get lunch and dinner as often as Joe Flaherty does? In the- <laughs> you want to go to Applebee's? <laughs> That's a good one. After Flaherty drives his car into the TV tower, mm-hmm. destabilizes it. And apparently they make no effort to fix that problem. Just... I've read that would not happen in a real golf tournament. You would know more about this than me, but they'd clear that out of the way. Playing it off of a guy's foot, I heard that was also not something you'd have to do. You'd get no, of a course free not. drop. Oh, okay, I didn't know for sure if that was true. But the TV tower thing being in front of the green, yeah, there's time. Get it out of the way. The guy shouldn't have to play past that. Oh, also, because fans did it. It wasn't like it was some act of God. It was these fans climbing on top of the thing. And a nice payoff, actually. Pretty well done by Dennis Duggan and the writing. Flaherty earlier had driven the car into that same tower, and then it just coincidentally, not coincidentally, I guess, but because people are climbing on it to get a better view, then it collapses. It doesn't just collapse for no good reason. No, absolutely. But I could have done without the let's play 18 caroms off the... The Rube the, Goldberg shot. Yeah, exactly. For a movie that made an effort to say, look... Happy found out how to play golf now. 
he can't outdrive Shooter anymore because he got run over by a car. But uh oh, Happy learned how to putt, mm-hmm. right? As he said earlier, let him actually win. After Shooter makes his par, why does it have to be the Rube Goldberg machine? A superhuman that, shot. <laughs> yeah, let the guy win. With his hockey stick putter. It didn't really pay off for me, I guess. And one of the few things that often didn't pay off for me through the course of this movie is that the golf wasn't filmed very well. The most egregious example of it was the first pro tournament he plays. He tees off, drives the green, right? But you see the ball fly past the pin, almost hit the guys who are putting out. It rolls like 30 feet beyond the hole. Mm-hmm. And then when they walk up to putt the ball, he's standing 30 feet in front of the hole. Nowhere even close to where his it's ball... It's a continuity issue. The though. continuity was so off, it drove me a little bit crazy. And I had to rewind the scene two or three times just to make sure that the camera angles hadn't rotated around or anything. Dennis Duggan, not maybe a great director. Though one thing that I could certainly relate to was the sheer rage that he felt every time he fucked up a shot. The screaming and the swearing and the throwing the clubs and all that. That's one way they get it with not having this be an R-rated movie. I thought it would be. I felt like he was going to be a swearer in this movie. And he is, but because we only see it happen when it's on TV, it's all bleeped. That was a smart thing by the writing and directing. So you have him saying, fuck, 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 and all shit and everything else. Asshole, whatever he says, but it's bleeped. Very smart. That is what you feel. For anyone that plays golf at any ability level, it doesn't even matter. That is what you feel like when you're staring down at like a stupid little stationary ball and you got to get it from point A to point B. And it's not that far, but goddamn, it's hard to do. And sometimes you just feel like swearing until you're blue in the face and snapping your club. And if you're anything like me, you've probably done that once or twice in your life. Mm. This is the personification of what it actually is like to golf mentally. Actually depicted on screen as a sport itself. It's a little bit questionable, but whatever. Happy's temper, though, I guess, is more consistent in golf than we think. He's just showing his id, and most people have to hide their id when they play golf. I don't know if I'd be a very good golfer anyway, but I'd probably not have the right temperament for it. I think I'd be closer to happy than I would be to most golfers and their zen quality, that at least they're showing. One thing you realize at a certain point is that getting mad like that doesn't achieve anything, and you're just going to screw yourself over the line. Probably in any sport, but especially golf. Especially golf, because it's just you, so you got nobody else to blame. What about his asshole rival, Christopher McDonald, playing shooter? Pretty well cast. We talked before we started recording here that Kevin Costner was in line for the role. Glad he did Tin Cup anyway, but he's also the wrong person for this, I think. You get the lesser-known actor, and he's maybe more appropriate for it. It also did harken back to Karate Kid, though. I've been reading and hearing about this for a few years now that people will say, the thing about Karate Kid is that Daniel's actually the upstart, and there's nothing wrong with being an upstart, but these other kids, the bad kids, have been working at karate for a long time and have tried really hard at it. Here's this guy coming in there and just steals their thunder. He's not a bad guy, but he's maybe not quite the hero you think he is, and that same thing happens with Shooter and Happy. Happy's never done this before. He has no respect for it in the first place. Shooter's worked for many years. He even says something about this during the movie. There's dialogue. What's this? I've been working hard forever. So as much as Shooter's a dick, he's got the Karate Kid arc. And I can understand why some people might say the same thing about him they said about Daniel LaRusso. One of the things we talked about is I think Shooter's my favorite character just because mm-hmm. Chris McDonald, well, I don't know if he goes by Chris or... We'll call him Chris. Let's call him Chris. He does such a perfect job of portraying that smarmy arrogance especially in the dream sequences that Happy has, going to his happy place, and just the greased back, like, 1950s-style hair with his pop collars and all that shit. But this is the guy that, through and through, is an arrogant dick. And his classist and, I don't know, smarmy... There's got to be a better word for it, but let's just say smarmy worldview comes throughout the whole thing, especially when there's people that he doesn't like watching the golf tournaments to follow happy. Like, get back to your trailer parks, right? Mm -hmm. And 
And that's perfectly in keeping with the notion of golf as an upper-class game, especially pre-Tiger Woods. But for all of that, you're right. This is a guy that has paid his dues. He's worked at it. He's at the top of his game, and nobody cares because all they want to do is follow the new... Not even Wonder Kid, but... Well, John Daly-esque. Great yeah. driver, not good at putting, and has anger management issues and controlling his emotions issues. I think that's Daly's thing. Daly was actually a great putter in his prime. He was. And he had some of the best hands, naturally talented, best hands. But best known field. for being a huge driver and having yeah. mental troubles. Mental troubles more than anything, no question. Emotional issues on the course. Even Happy says at some point during the climactic tournament, he tells Shooter, you know what's sad? I just started playing and you've been playing your whole life and you're losing to me. Even Happy is needling Shooter over how easily this has come to That does not make Happy the hero or the good guy, if you think about it then. No, it doesn't. There's a small part of me that feels for Shooter, especially in some of those early scenes when all the reporters are asking him. He's holding up his winner's check and smoking his cigar, and they're all asking, hey, what do you think about Happy Gilmore? He's like, oh, I didn't have a chance to see him. What about that big drive, that 450-yard hole-in-one? He's like, I heard about that. Where'd he finish? Last place? Yeah, yeah, good day for him. But they just keep asking him about Plus, I was busy playing my own fucking game. I was too busy winning the tournament, people. No, they make him a bad guy by being a dick and obviously taking the grandmother's house. Well, he does buy illegally. But then this whole notion about hiring the grandmother to be his maid or something like that and burn it down. Of course, he's a bad guy with all those things going on. But the lack of respect from our hero about the sport and the complete respect the other guy has for it, that does not make our hero a hero. I also liked the fact that you had a little bit of differing personalities throughout this. And even though you don't remember Kevin Nealon in this movie... I saw him, I just wasn't listening that closely to him. His brief appearance in the movie as Happy's playing partner in that first tournament... Potter! Yeah, whatever his name was. Mr. Potter! Potter. ...was still a lot of fun, because it's exactly the kind of player you'll run into over the course of... Again, amateur, professional, doesn't matter. Eventually you'll run into the guy that wants to tell you all about their Zen philosophies and how you have to be one with the course and just like accept and all this kind of nonsense... You've got your angry guy, you've got your totally zen guy, and then you've got your hyper-focused professional guy and Shooter McGavin. They actually do a pretty good job of covering the gamut of mindsets in this and really having fun with it. I bloody wish they could actually portray the game a little bit better. Mm. The PGA now actually celebrates this movie. Every so often they'll bring it up. It's like the 20th anniversary or whatever. And you have some professional golfers that make cameos in this. Lee Trevino. Lee Trevino. There's not as many as you might have thought, though. There's more in Tin Cup. Oh, there's a lot more in Tin Cup. There's only a few. I think Mark Lai, Lee Trevino, and there might be one or two others that just have very brief pop-ups throughout. Trevino's in it quite a bit, but all he's really doing is having these funny expressions on his face. I, I think, think he has one line in the whole movie. Yeah, this is like, what an idiot or something once, and otherwise he's just shaking his head at whatever Happy's doing. And apparently Lee Trevino got very upset that he was ever in this movie because he didn't realize how crude it was going to be. If I knew that young man was going to use so many swears, I wouldn't have been in this movie. Well, the swears aren't actually in the movie, though, because they're bleeped. No, but even the implication of it, I guess, he didn't like the way that it portrayed the sport. But the PGA mustn't have liked it either because it's not PGA, it's PGT? Maybe Tour? for the Professional team? Golf Tour. None of the licensed logoing is there. All the tournaments are just made-up tournament names. It isn't always a conflict. It could just be they didn't want to didn't be pay involved for whatever reason. It doesn't have to be that they had a problem. Sometimes you hear the military movies, not often actually, are military movies completely in sync with the filmmakers and give them the supplies they need, the tanks and the guns and the uniforms. They do sometimes, but I think a lot of times they don't because more often than not, war movies are anti-war in any way making the military look like bad guys. We're not going to be a part of that. Maybe that's what this was. We like your movie, but your main character is not portraying the sport very well, so we're out. They didn't like the way that Happy was a little bit disrespectful towards the game, and at the same time, it portrayed professional golfers as being 
the most uptight, or professional golf fans as the most uptight people you could possibly imagine, which was probably true to a certain degree for a long, long time. When Tiger Woods broke out in the late 90s on tour and everybody was clapping and yelling and screaming, Tiger, every time he hit a shot, that was a big controversy in the golf world. Oh, look at how disrespectful they're being to the game. And that was pretty much contemporaneous to this movie. So They what, won't admit, but a lot of his contemporaries would have hated the fact that they were cheering on a black guy. What was it, Fred Couples or somebody that said, maybe it's Mickelson, they had that fried chicken and watermelon in the clubhouse now? I don't think that would have been Mickelson. Somebody said that, though. Golf was, by and large, a white man's sport. Still is, not that much different. I think it's diversified quite a bit, but a lot of Asian countries have really taken over the game. A lot of pros coming out of Korea and Japan and China. Well, contrast to a sport like soccer, you need so much money to play golf. Even on some crappy course in the middle of nowhere, you've got to put money in to play that. Soccer, all you need is some shoes and a ball. That is the number one cause for it always being a little bit of a classist game. There is a huge economic barrier to playing golf, even, like you said, at a really shitty level. Also to play hockey properly, interestingly, the other sport that's portrayed in this movie. Playing hockey, especially here in Canada, I don't know what it even costs now, but when I was young and my cousins played, it wasn't cheap for them to do that. When I played softball or baseball, I guess it was, I don't remember how much it was for my parents, but it was nothing compared to what... My mom's brother was paying for his kids to play hockey. Yeah, rink time and equipment ain't cheap mm-hmm. for hockey. Although maybe it's cheaper in the U.S. I don't know if the rink, but still, rink time. golf and hockey are expensive sports to play. Yeah, for a guy that's working every odd job and getting fired from most of mm-hmm. them, probably because he's humping everything that moves in all of these odd jobs. One thing about happy that makes him a little less reputable, or is our hero as well, is that he gets dumped by his girlfriend, and it's her fault. Well, maybe it's his fault that she wants to dump him. We don't see what happened before. But she seems like the bad guy originally, but then he's banging the Asian woman that night. So how loyal is he really? If he's thinking he might get his girlfriend back, well, he's not going to now. Well, then she doesn't know about that, but you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying, but that's the first moment in this movie that I actually chuckled to myself. Well, it's funny, but it's not very honorable. (laughs) It's such a good character moment. As much as I don't think Sandler, at least in this movie, acts particularly well, and I mean as an actor, I don't mean his character acting honorably or anything, but... That moment with him at the intercom, getting angry, and then immediately saying, oh, come on, baby, I'm so sorry. I just got a little upset because I love you so much. And then the Asian lady that's walking by and hears it and then decides to show up at the front door. What, you're not staying for breakfast? I think it would have been a really fun callback if she showed up (laughs) on his arm at the last tournament or walking to... With a belly. She's got a baby in there. Oh, my God. You took it to the next level. That's Happy Junior or something. That's the 2019 sequel. Jolly Gilmore. We gotta contact Hurley and Sandler and pitch the sequel, Happy Gilmore Two, and it's the love child with the nameless lady from the beginning. Well, the way the movie's portrayed, his love child is gonna come from Julie Bowen, who didn't look as good in this as she did in Lost, where I thought she was just gorgeous and pretty well portrayed as Jack's ex in that show. I guess she's best known from Modern Family, which was I've she never had seen. Lost? Yeah, she was Jack's ex. She's oh, in about shit. maybe six or eight episodes. But here she is in this film. Did fine. I don't think she really stood out. But then again, you've complained about this before. Was this and I think the answer is yes, another shoehorned love story. There wasn't much of a love story to it. And yeah, and she fails the Bechdel test because she doesn't do anything that doesn't involve him. Well, I guess in the original part of her character, when we first see her, she's talking about being a marketer, not about him specifically. But once she starts hooking up with him in any way, even being his friend and then his love interest, it's all about happy. So she really does fail that Bechdel test. Yeah, there's not a lot to her character. I mean, there's not a ton of female characters in this. As much as I love Grandma... Even she only has, what, five scenes, maybe? And then the old age. Asian lady, that's about it, isn't it? It really is like a frat boys movie from the 90s. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's a stupid comedy. And what you want out of it are some fun, lighthearted moments. And you certainly get that. I really love the come-to-Jesus moment that Sandler has. He's not going to succeed to the level he needs to succeed to to get Grandma's house back if he keeps going with this 
I don't give a shit about golf. I'm a hockey player. I'm going to do it my way. So goes back and finds Chubbs, and we'll do it your way, Chubbs, and we'll figure this out. Let's go play mini golf. Let's go play mini golf. I'm a professional golfer. That's the first time that he actually, I think, admits I'm a professional golfer is when he gets taken to the mini golf course and immediately humbled. I really enjoy the clown eyes back and forth. Laugh it up, funny boy. (laughs) Well, the funniest line he has in the movie, or one of at least. The fight with Barker is the best thing in the whole movie and the funniest thing in the whole movie, but I do like that part where... The ball won't go in its home, so... You too good for your home? <laughs> go to your home! That's a cute one. That, and I think it's the same hole, potentially. He's trying to putt out. It takes him four or five tries. Or maybe it was the qualifier that he's playing with Chubbs. And one of the spectators goes like, Oh, finally! And he just turns around and like, Yeah! It's funny. It's about time. I tried to get the ball in the hole. It just wouldn't go in the hole. Like, <laughs> fuck me, right? And then he just beats the hell out of the guy. It's one of those moments that you can empathize with when you play the game a little bit is sometimes that fucking ball, all you got to do is get it eight feet to the hole and five shots later, you're ready to rage on somebody. So there have been Chris Gilmore's in the past then. Pro golfer Chris. (laughs) I won't say that I've snapped my club over a tree trunk, but... You've wanted to. I won't say that I haven't either. Okay, fair. Salem is Razzie nominated for this movie. We haven't done too many movies that got Razzie nominations. We've done some really terrible comedies and really terrible movies, period. But the Razzie didn't care enough about them to honor them. I think he's been nominated plenty of times. Wait, he got nominated personally or the movie? Did? He did. He did. Worst okay. actor of the year. I yeah. get that. He's not great in this. And maybe it's a vanity thing, but I was noticing that Sandler's character's name is in the movie title more than 10 times. Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, Little Nicky, and now perhaps you Chuck and Larry. It harkens back to the time when Adam Sandler was good. It reminds me of the time when SNL was still good, when Sandler and his buddies were on it. Kevin Nealon, of course, being one of the contemporaries of his, and Chris Farley, who wasn't in this movie. I wish he was. They could have found an interesting role for him. Hell, I think he could have done great as the jackass Joe Flaherty character Maybe if that so. was uh, Chris Farley. Steve Buscemi wasn't yet working with Sandler in the roles he did, or even Rob Schneider with his, You can do it! We don't see Schneider in this, but Schneider would do that you-can-do-it thing a lot in his movies, or even just be an actor in his movies. Wasn't Buscemi in Billy Madison the year before this? He might have been. But more often than not, he's been in Sandler's comedies. So how was your ebb and flow Muskoka brewery beer? It was as light and empty as the plot of this movie, Ryan. It was enjoyable, much like this movie. Enjoyable, but won't leave me with a ton of after effects, that's for sure. Can you score this movie? I think it's always a pleasure to gaze at Julie Bowen. But one thing the Sandler movies never do is make a person horny. Including when they mention eating pieces of shit for breakfast. That was also pretty funny. Yeah, how do we... I not... eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? <laughs> that was good. That has to be one of the most quoted Adam Sandler movie lines. I remember going back and forth with my buddies with that line. Whenever you're, you're trash talking, playing a sport or something. How do we also not talk about a little bar scene with Happy Gilmore and Shooter and... What was it exactly? Stay out of my way or you'll pay. Listen to what I say. And then it's such a stupid moment, but the little rebuttal of you want to go get some hay or I might make something out of clay and then hang out down by the bay. What do you say? I just (laughs) may. For a silly movie, it has some really memorable moments. Well, enjoy the Masters. It comes up pretty soon. We're doing this before the Masters, but that will be April 11th to the 14th. I don't watch golf anymore. Maybe Chris does, but that's why we picked this movie to lead into one of the big moments of the year for the sport of golf. Yeah, it absolutely is. And they talk about jackets a lot. The The gold jacket. The gold jacket. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a tournament somewhere in the professional circuit that awarded a gold jacket, but I'm not aware of it. But of course, one of the biggest tournaments in golf is the Masters with the green jacket which might be the ugliest thing you'll ever wear. It really is, yeah. 
I would love to know who it was that made the decision that that was going to be the shade of green when the first green jacket was created for the Masters. Maybe there was like, something that really stood out. If it had been a more subtle green, it wouldn't stand out the same way. For anyone that's a fan, that is the dream. Well, it's like wearing a World Series or especially a Super Bowl ring. Those things are huge and tacky. But if you have one, then you really achieve something. Okay, on April 18th, so two weeks from now, we'll add to the frenzy that is the NFL Draft. That runs from April 25th to the 27th. And we'll cover a football movie Chris has never seen before. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more appropriate for that occasion than Draft Day, which is not a great movie, but it's one I've always liked. I don't know why. I've watched some of the clips, especially at the end when he wheels and deals on YouTube many times. I'll definitely be interested in your point of view on it when you've actually seen it for the first time. And we're doing Costner again, our third Costner sports movie out of 22. That's right. We're comp- Well, at that point, it'll be 23, right? Well, let me look at my notes and double check this. Dun, dun, this dun. Oh, you're right. This is the 22nd, so the 23rd. Okay. Victory is mine! Yeah, in any event, right. yeah, it's the Costner trifecta. We've done one other actor with Woody movies. Harrelson. Harrelson, yeah. So mm-hmm. we'll have Harrelson, we'll have Costner. We've been big Costner apologists to this point through his first two movies. Both well, of which are objectively good movies. Tin Cup and Field of Dreams are two of his better movies. Yeah, I didn't have to be apologists for those. No, but I think we've both talked about just being general costumes. About his career. About yeah. his career. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what I think about this one. Yeah, maybe you'll to like seeing it. this. Maybe you'll be a big fan. So I am at moviefiend fifty one. He is at scoring at movies. The website, topandironproject.com. Take your easy dudes. I know that you will. Jackass.